Hello, and welcome to the Belmont Story Project. I'm Nancy McMenemy McComb, and today is September 4, 2019. I'm here with Jim Roth, who's a longtime Belmont resident and a PhD chemist who actually worked on the Apollo 11 mission and some of the other uh, Apollo missions as well. So thank you very much for coming in today. We appreciate it. Well, it's nice to be here today and talk about something that's more than 50 years old. Yeah. <laughs> We're excited to capture people's stories and people's memories about it, for sure. And especially with someone like you who actually worked on the Apollo 11 mission. Well, so. I worked on it and worked on a lot of the lead up to that. Okay. At uh, being on staff at Cornell at the time. Yep. I got my degree from Cornell and then uh, did a year of postdoc. I got my degree in the College of Agriculture. Agriculture? And okay. most people don't realize that Cornell campus is the only one that has both state schools and private schools in the campus. And so I got my degree in the, in the, in the uh, state college, but then I went on staff in the privately endowed part of Cornell in the chemistry department. And then, uh, and what, what point, year was that? Around about that would have been sixty eight, nineteen sixty eight, when were. I got my degree. Mm-hmm. Did a year postdoc, and then the directorship of the analytical laboratories for the department. Of defense funded the material science center at Cornell and I became the manager of that laboratory. Mm-hmm. So is that at Cornell in the lab is that's where all of your work took place? That's where all of this work took place because the um, professor I worked with at the time in my postdoctorate was the one who eventually became was also the director of this lab and uh, but he was G.H. Morrison and he's a prime principal investigator for the Apollo project. Okay. Well, when I first went there, I didn't realize I swear I was going to end up mm-hmm. doing that. And uh, I went there primarily to get a good trade in-depth training in analytical chemistry. Okay. And uh, because he was working on on analysis of samples, geological samples. Of, which, the, of the rocks that had been brought well, back? Well, that's what it eventually came into. But okay. before this, in our lead-up to it, he had developed the analytical techniques for which we could analyze for every element of the periodic table, mm-hmm. from percentages down to parts per billion, and do it on a less than a one-gram sample. Hmm. Well, this just led right straight into the Apollo missions because... Needless to say, you don't go around giving out pounds of lunar material. It's too precious. It was too precious. And so we were one of the primary laboratories around the world. And there was about 200 labs around the world. Mm -hmm. But we were the only ones that could cover so many elements. Okay. That um, most of them were specialized in a half a dozen elements. Mm -hmm. But we were specialized in everything. Wow. And for the unknown, because we had we could have detected any of the unknowns that were not normally analyzed for. We didn't find any, but yeah. we could have. <laughs> wow, that's fantastic. And that was what led into all of this. And as I did my postdoc, I went on staff then, and this laboratory became the primary laboratory. Now we had graduate students, and and uh, Dr. Morrison was the director of the grad students. I looked after keeping all the track of all the sampling and and they uh, kept the security on all the samples and you can't imagine what security was for samples. Oh, can you tell us? 
The first time when, when Apollo 11, when it came back, those samples went under lock and key in Houston for, I think it was three months before we got any samples. And at that time, you could only come down and physically pick up the samples at Houston. They didn't mail them around. Yeah. They didn't send them in by secured carrier or anything. You had yourself, the principal investigators had on Apollo 11. Mm -hmm. By the time we got to the following missions, then uh, they would mail them. Mm -hmm. uh, on Apollo 12, I actually flew to Houston mm -hmm. in my own plane and picked up samples and flew back. Wow. Did you, do you know, what were they worried about in terms of the security? Did they think they, they just sort of disappear out of people's curiosity, or were they worried about the Soviets? Or Well, it was really, it was really the, they wanted to make sure that they had track of everything that went out. Okay. That was one. Mm -hmm. And they had control of where they were. Mm -hmm. Because at this point, there was a big, big risk, somewhat of a risk or concern that we would be bringing in things possibly into our environment yeah. that would not be stable. Okay. That was an unknown mm -hmm. at this time. We had no idea. You know, later we find there's no organic material, so without the organic material, you can't really have okay. uh, life forms. And there wasn't any measurable water, so you couldn't really have any life. But yeah. that was an unknown yeah. at this point. And uh, so there was a lot of things. and. That's the reason they sat down there in, in a security environment. Now, I'm talk, not talking about physical security. I'm talking about locked environmental control security. Okay, right. You didn't want yeah. them contaminated with didn't other Didn't want to contaminate it. Didn't yeah. want to allow it to contaminate anything else. And, I mean, these were kept under vacuum and, and uh, real sealed containers. Okay. So when we went down to pick them up, they had already come out of, the, out of that. Mm -hmm sealed environment yep. and we're in presence and, and essentially plastic tubes. Yeah. Do you remember what you thought when you first saw them? Well, they looked just like any other rock. Mm. <laughs> that wasn't that much difference. So, um, we got chunks of rock, we got chunks of the powder. Mm -hmm. You know, at the time when I was at Cornell and the lead up to all of this was Tommy Gold and, and uh, Carl Sagan mm. were at Cornell at that time. Okay. And I remember being in several meetings with them, and and there was a big concern about Apollo 11 landing on the moon. Would it stand up, mm -hmm. or would it sink into the surface? Uh, Tommy Gold says it's going to stand up. There's not going to be any problems. But they still put the big disc on the bottom of the feet. Oh yeah, right. Which they didn't need. Mm -hmm. uh, they were trying to distribute the weight. Distribute the weight, see, yeah. so it wouldn't sink. Right, because the capsule was know. very uh, heavy, obviously. Well, it, up there it wasn't, see. Oh, right. You know, that was a thing. There wasn't a whole lot of weight. That's right, but I forgot that. But they thought that it was all going to be just a powder, like, yeah. you know, flour, yeah. and it would sink down. Well, it turns out that, no, that wasn't the yeah. case. Yeah. <laughs> right. But it was so first time, it was a lot of unknowns or a yeah. bit of uncertainty about those kinds of things. That's yeah. right. And that, that was the big problem that uh, they had, or, you know, one of the big concerns that was expressed. And so they put these big feet on it. Well, that was a good place for, for you know, step on the, on the disc yeah. and then step yeah. off of that onto the lunar surface. And that's yeah. where he made that statement. Mm -hmm. His famous speech, yeah. And so, uh, 
and all of that, you know, of course, we're glued to TV sets at that point. Right. Uh, right. When that all was going on. Right. So you were already on of the Apollo project when yes. a, the Apollo 11 happened? Yeah, we, okay. we were already designated as the analytical facility. Okay. Okay. Uh, so while we're on that, can you tell us about what you remember of the actual landing or what went through your mind? Well, you know, what went on at that time, you know, it was it was it was happening so fast you didn't have time to analyze it. And the and analyze analyze what was going on because you're looking at a eight second delay. Okay. Uh, in any communications. You know, you've got a long time delay in mm-hmm. there. They say something, but by the time he says it, well, you know, They've here he is at, at 30 seconds to, to touchdown, and he takes manual control. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't hear that until, you know, and can respond to it for another 10 seconds. And then by the time you get it back to him, he's 20 seconds, he's 10 seconds from touchdown. Yeah. So what's happened? Yeah. And before you can find out what happened, he's already on the surface. Yeah. <laughs> So those are the types of things that we that were going on at mm-hmm. that point. So you couldn't really say too much at that time. You thought that's just normal sequence of events mm-hmm. that he was going to. Well, it turned out he wasn't. Right. That uh, you know that was it gets pretty scary for what actually happened. Mm-hmm. And most people today, you know, or a lot of people today have expressed the feelings that. That that costs us a lot of money to put a man on the moon, mm. but we've gotten that back in spades because that led to all of our microelectronics. Mm. Totally, your cell phone today has ten to a thousand times more power than all of NASA had in all the computers that they had at the time of the lunar landing. Mm-hmm. So for the science of it, and it was a computer that wasn't keeping up. It couldn't compute fast enough that mm-hmm. they had on the lander, and that's the reason he had to take manual control because he could respond a lot faster than the computer could. Right in in those <laughs> days, yeah. Right. In those days, because he just didn't have the power. Right. Yeah, I've I've learned since starting this project that they they actually were quite low on <laughs> they were low on they were low on fuel. They had seven um, seconds. Yeah, so that was how how dicey it was. Yes, um, extremely dicey, and to do taking it over manual control right then he realizes he's in the middle of a rock field mm-hmm. and so he had to move it yep. and get over to a smooth area because they had overshot mm-hmm. the landing spot and uh, so he had to move it over and then still when he touched down he had less than seven seconds yeah it's really an amazing story i think people don't, i don't believe people were aware of that at the time no you didn't see because all of that had to be you didn't have time for the communications to mm-hmm. take place at that time. Right. And so you never thought about it at the time of the actual landing. Right. It was sort of over before you... Yeah, it was, it was well over. And it was well over until really several months after they got back mm-hmm. did all of this really come out as to what how close it had come. Because mm-hmm. yeah. computers through all of this was telling them to abort it. You know, he goes through the last 30 seconds and the computer's telling him to get out of there. <laughs> right. But he knows what's he knows what's at stake yeah. and decides to, to go his own way. Yeah, he must have been quite a cool customer. He was. Yeah. And uh, I met him once. Oh, did you? And uh, met several of the astronauts. They, they would come in to Cornell for lectures. Yeah. You know, with Carl Sagan and, and uh, Tommy Gold there. They, wow. 
they came around periodically. Yeah. Once I flew up to Grissom Air Force Base and picked them, picked one of the astronauts up and flew them back down to Cornell to give a wow. lecture. Wow. <laughs> so what was that like knowing, you know, knowing so much of the inside, you know, knowing the, knowing the actual astronauts and... Well, that, it, it gave you a little more perspective on what these samples were. And, mm-hmm. of course, you know, when you think about where they'd come from and all of that, and, you know, and, of course, questions we were always asking, been asked ever since, is, you know, were they any different? You know, mm-hmm. what, what was so special about them? Well, when you really get down and look at it, they aren't that much different than Earth. Uh, they're just another rock sample. Right. But, of course, we didn't know that beforehand. We didn't know that. But and we didn't know where it come from. Mm-hmm. Was the moon created from Earth, or was it a captured uh, material? After the analysis that we found out, you know, we're able to now hypothesize where the moon actually got formed. Yeah. And uh, at that time, it was... There was two schools of thought. It was a captured planet. Mm-hmm. You mean kind uh, of captured in the gravity? Captured in the gravity field of the Earth. Or that, you know, the other school of thought was it was a broken piece mm-hmm. off of the Earth. And so essentially the material would be the same as Earth material. Okay. Well, the first, and for several years after that, most of the analysis showed that it, they were almost identical to Earth samples. Mm-hmm until they ran the oxygen 16-18 ratio. What's the oxygen 16-18 ratio? Well, that is the number of protons that are in the nucleus of the oxygen atom. Okay. You can have an atomic weight of 16 or you can have an 18, meaning it has two more neutrons in the nucleus than what uh, the other one has. The most common one is 16, but there is a a ratio of those two Oxygen-18 is not mm-hmm. uh, radioactive, so it stays around. But you know, they weren't checking for it. Okay. Well, they found out that they already knew there was a differential between meteorite-18-16 and, and a, with terrestrial materials mm-hmm. of 16-18. Well, here they found these rocks were somewhere in between. Hmm. And that's led to... The theory today that it was actually meteoritic collision with Earth mm-hmm. and a bunch of the ejected material along with a bunch of the meteorite okay. formed the moon. So sort of it's a bit of Earth and a bit of a meteor. Yes. From that collision. From that collision. Okay. Well, that's now we go. We got to go through back several billion years. But yeah. <laughs> Luckily, not in our lifetime. It. No, and that's the thing when you look at any of these things today is that. You know, when you're looking at this type of timing, this is drop in a bucket. Yeah. And so you have to be thinking about much wider windows of time to have things take place. Right, right. So those are the types of things that you look at. So that was the type of thing we were looking at, see, going through these analyses. That your particular lab uh, was looking at that? Well, we... We did not get too heavily involved with the 1618 early. Okay. There was another lab, and I forget where it was. It was overseas somewhere that um, looked at uh, that ratio, and that's where it started. We could have seen it, but we weren't really looking for it. Okay. You were kind of just comparing 
we were looking at apples to apples yeah. or finding finding where you had the commonalities we were not looking at we were looking at the elemental concentrations and not with the isotopic concentration okay and that was really where the difference is set gotcha how many years of your career were you working on apollo well i worked on that uh through all the apollo missions mm-hmm. we analyzed samples for every one of them yeah so that's yeah. into the 70s 1970s yeah, yeah. I was there see, until 77. Okay. I left uh, Cornell in 77, then went to the Midwest to build my own lab. Oh, okay. And, uh, what did you do there? I had a, uh, an agricultural laboratory and environmental testing lab. Hmm. And then what, sorts of, what sorts of questions were you asking in that research? Just, well, just big picture. This wasn't. It was really an applied laboratory, okay. not a research lab. Okay. That we were, we were essentially helping farmers make fertilizer recommendations, insect pest management. Okay. And, and then normal environmental concerns mm-hmm. of waste treatment facilities and, and plant discharging and all that, like okay. you can do here. Yep. Then uh, got into problems with the education of our youngest daughter. Mm-hmm. That she needs special ed and turns her out, out that there's only two schools in the country that can handle her oh, and okay. they were both here here in Massachusetts yeah, yeah. okay and so my wife got to move back into her family home and of course my in-laws said that was excellent they could use the other house and go to the Cape so they retired to the Cape and we moved into the house here in Belmont that they built oh, okay so what year was that that you came back to Belmont or your wife came back to Belmont well with you? she came back in 788 and I didn't get back until 89. Okay, gotcha. And did you continue your work as a chemist here? Well, I came here as a manager of an of a environmental testing laboratory. Okay. And uh, did that until I retired. Gotcha. Then retired, then started teaching. Right, right, so you're, you're sort of not so retired. Um, yeah. Well, you... I, did, I did officially retire from that one like, okay. two, two weeks ago. So. Oh, just two weeks? Oh, yeah. well, congratulations. I just got rid of another job, one job. That's yeah. All I okay. To so, do. <laughs> so, what else? What else are you doing? Well, I do a lot of work with Massachusetts Lions. I research, and uh, we essentially take monies and give grants. Gotcha. I'm sorry, I didn't catch the name because I wasn't. Familiar Massachusetts Mass Lions or Mass Lions Eye Research. Okay. It's a a um, nonprofit that takes some monies from the Lions clubs around the state that they wish to have directed toward basic research. Okay. And, and preventable eye disease mm-hmm. and we essentially pool that money and then ask the institutions for grant requests. Okay. So you're working in development basically for that organization? And, and then I'm the, I'm the treasurer of it so I managed all the money but okay. uh, but I'm also one of the ones with the most science depth mm. and so I can understand what they're doing and, and essentially we get to go in and see these institutions every year and see what they spent their money from last year and what they're going to spend it for this year. Mm-hmm. And what we're seeing is you won't see for another 25 years. Yeah. That's the lead time that they're working on. Mm-hmm. How did you get involved in that? Well, I was aligned before I came here, but uh, here we have such a strong Belmont Lions Club here in Belmont. Okay, that, yeah. Uh, it was a automatic one, and of course I went on from that. Uh, yeah. It was a way for you to get involved. Get involved here, here yeah. and then I was 
governor of this district mm-hmm. and then started to, after that then took went into mass lines our research and been there ever since okay great and so you're teaching also is that then i was teaching at okay. uh, at what was used to be the new england college of acupuncture which is now part of mcphs okay and it's when they became part of that about five four years ago mm-hmm. that they were going to move it from out of watertown and i decided there's no way i was going to drive all the way out to worcester to, oh, to okay. teach a an hour class mm-hmm. that just wasn't worth it. <laughs> right. What were you teaching? I was teaching chemistry and physics. Oh, okay. Hmm. And, uh, they always liked it because I could teach physics and not use mathematics. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, most um, of the acupuncture students did not like math. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But wow. it was a challenge. Right. So I'm curious, looking back on your career, you know, it sounds like you've had, you've kind of had a couple of careers in a way, even though some of them are volunteer work. Is there, is there one that stands out as, you know, kind of the most satisfying or? Well, for satisfying you, I would have to say the teaching. Yeah. You know, I I have always wanted to teach. I was at Cornell. I got tired at Cornell. And if it hadn't been for the fact I was spending 75% of my time either writing grants to get money yeah. or managing money that we'd already received yeah. that uh, I might have stayed in the academics. Okay. But um, I never had a chance to get in the laboratory. Yeah. And uh, so as a result, I, I got kind of burned out on that whole thing of grants. And, of course, now that I'm on the other side, I I essentially look at the request for, for money okay. and see what the other side faces yes yeah and uh, that whole game has changed so much today mm. that our monies that comes in through our research are so meaningful to these institutions mm. when I was writing grants at Cornell we were writing it we had to show that we probably had a 25 to 30 percent chance that it would work mm. now they're having to write it 95 to 97 percent chance that it will work before they'll ever get federal funding wow the competition is so one-sided today okay and uh, as a result of that how do you get that enough work done Mm -hmm. well that's where our funds come in is that we essentially fund those one in a, a thousand long shots okay to see if it will work enough that they can go and attract the big money Right. To kind of early R&D almost, helping these people. extremely early. We're talking about the ones fresh out of college with their doctorates. Hmm. And before they've ever had a chance, they have a tremendous idea, but they can't get any funding to do it. Yeah. I know once they were able to get a researcher to come in, had never gotten funding out of a university in the Midwest. Yeah. And they used $50,000 of our funding one year. And before the year was out, he got a $10 million grant. Wow. Because the idea worked. But he could never get it before yeah. the review boards because he wasn't a recognized researcher. Yep. And his idea was went against everything that the reviewers felt was the right course of action. Wow. So it sounds like you're spurring a lot of creativity. Yeah, that's or, effectively or a lot of what of... Our, our monies do. And yeah. That, and that's the big... We, haven't, we don't have the, the millions of dollars it takes to 
to get a new drug on market. Sure. You know, you look at five hundred million to billion dollars to put a drug on the market. Mm-hmm. That uh, we don't have that type of sure. money. Sure, sure. We go after that new guy that's trying to find something. Right, with an idea that seems worthwhile to you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your group. Yeah. And that's what we're looking at. Oh, okay. Interesting. Turning a little bit to, to Belmont and your life here, um, can I just, since you mentioned your wife grew up here, what's your wife's name? Um, Evelyn Carrero. Her maiden name was Carrero. Okay, okay. Lived down on uh, Stewart Terrace. Okay. And her father built a house there when there wasn't really any around, and it was all farm behind it. Right. Sergey's farm came right up to the back back line of the property. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've heard about Sergey's farm. <laughs> well, there's... Three rows of houses in there now. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Belmont's <laughs> developed a lot since those and, early days. Uh, so that farm is much smaller than what it used to be. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that, um, and then when we had to come back, and I have nothing but good things to say about special education in mm-hmm. the town of Belmont. Yeah. We've been very pleased with that because our daughter needed it, mm-hmm. and it worked. And you have one daughter? Well, no, more. there's... Hers and mine and ours, oh, okay. and the daughter that needed it was ours. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I've got six kids, twelve grandkids, and <laughs> so there are several around. Yeah, good. Um, so you guys moved here in the late '80s, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Being '88. So that's a that's a good piece of time. Are there ways that you've seen Belmont change over that time? Well, Belmont's changed tremendously, and. and most of it's you know the good the town the town has certainly changed the to me the town itself has changed in the um, in the atmosphere it was a much smaller community type town I guess for the lack of a better term bedroom community type town to more mm-hmm. being directed by a lot of the influential people that uh, mm-hmm sometimes have a tendency to lose that small community town when that starts to come into play mm-hmm. but they are a progressive town I think tremendous things about the school system here we're certainly spending enough for it mm-hmm. uh, these projects going on down the yeah, street new, uh, new high school down the street yeah I get involved a little bit with that and the aspects that I said on the conservation commission okay. chair of conservation yeah and uh, of course they had to coming through to us for getting building permits to build it mm-hmm. <laughs> and we've expressed a few concerns with some of the things that and there and there are still some hurdles that have to be cleared there okay and uh, that uh, have got to be addressed that, yeah in terms of the environmental impact of the school uh, yes absolutely yeah the whole do we use artificial turf or natural yeah. They both have their goods and they both have their bads. Mm. Natural is not the automatic solution. Not with sitting with a clay pit pond there. Okay. Because if you're going to have grass, you've got to feed it. So you've got to worry about runoffs. You've got to worry about pest control. You've got to worry about traffic. Yeah. You know, a grass field won't take the traffic that an artificial turf would. And here you're putting in a limited number of fields around the high school you're going to have to use them mm-hmm. well natural grass is no good you know from about November to, to February mm-hmm. March so what are you going to do to, during those periods of time and you start putting just traffic 
compete on, you know, with that number of students, grass is going to have problems. Artificial's got its problems of potential problems of the material that's used to make it. Mm-hmm. So what's the process like kind of trying to decide those things? Well, people coming, there, there people coming are, together to, to well, discuss Well, there are it. two groups that, uh, yeah. here. You've got the two, two groups yeah. in town that are discussing this along with the school committee. And, yeah. And uh, when they come to us on the Conservation Commission, you know, we're, we're, we're looking to protect the clay pit pond. Mm-hmm. So we're very much concerned about the use of natural uh, grass mm-hmm. because of the runoff problem. Because if you're going to feed it, you're going to have runoff. So you're going to have to protect it. You mm-hmm. don't want to have to do it if you put artificial in. Yeah. And, uh, and is that the main source of contention, or do you have a bunch of things? Well, that's that's just that's just one. There's not one. a whole me- a whole lot there. I think okay. that, I think the school is going to be excellent. When yeah. It, okay. When it gets done. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to say, either about your your work experience or about Belmont, or? No, it was very. The whole Apollo projects were very interesting. It yeah. was a big chunk of my time at that stage early on in my career that I got involved with. Yeah. I looked at it I, over the years. I've analyzed some of the cleanest samples around, mm-hmm. some of the dirtiest ones, mm-hmm. and some of the most expensive ones we'll ever analyze. And, uh, and it all came from just being at, the, at certain places at the right time. Right. Yeah, you were somebody that you kind of just lucked into working on the Apollo or stepped I'll into say, it, I not knowing. Stepped into it at yeah. the time. You know, when I went over there as a, as a research associate, I didn't expect to be there. You know, maybe mm-hmm. two years. Mm-hmm. But then this the fellow that had been running the laboratory left and went to became a professor at, at one of the Midwest colleges, and, and uh, so, you so that position opened up, and I thought, well, why not take it? Yeah, and I would have stayed. At Carnell, if it if it hadn't been, I just got tired of writing grants. Right. right. Of course, now then I write grants now. Right. <laughs> I say, I look at grants both, but I also write them. Even today, because mm-hmm. one of the funds that we have, I have access to uh, match grant money, and so I go out and um, I've written grants now for about about uh, around two million dollars. Wow. That I've uh, gotten into these high institutions down downtown because I got access to a matched fund. Yeah. Yeah, it's a particular skill. I'm sure they really value the what you're able to bring to the bring to them. Yeah, I end up having to write those cuz nobody else can and so on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, grant writing. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's it is a, it's definitely a skill and not not something everybody's dying to do, but it's no, certainly it's uh, worthwhile. Well, it's worthwhile in what they get. I don't get anything out of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, the knowledge that you're helping, right? Yeah, that's yeah. all. Yep. Well, hey, that's something. That's about what I've done since I retired. I got got rid of one job. <laughs> then I always wondered how I ever, ever had time to work. Yeah, that's what they say. <laughs> but I think it's good to keep busy, right? Yeah, you don't well, want to got to have something to do. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you very much. Right. It's been a pleasure meeting you and um, to hear hearing about your experience working on the Apollo mission. That's it's great to always have the kind of an insider's perspective on things like that for such an important part of our history. Well, it was an important part, and most people today, uh, you know, in my teaching, I, I had students in the class that were in middle age. They were going back on career changes, and I get to talking about this and they realize 
these people weren't alive when yeah. I did this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they don't realize what that really brought to this country. Yeah, yeah. The challenge that Kennedy made was a phenomenal challenge, and they said there was no way it was going to happen. Is that and, what you thought? or? Well, it certainly at that time, it was going to be a real struggle, and it was a real struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we'll ever see that struggle take place today because we'll never get organized enough to do it. Mm. There's too much infighting in our government today. Mm. To ever go around and, you know, Kennedy, that was the thing that Kennedy brought to the table, mm. was he was able to get both sides of the aisle to take one project and run with it. Yeah. But we, I haven't seen anybody since him do it. Yeah, it's unfortunately. a... It's a also an interesting part of the history, yeah, that, that just the country got so got behind a goal like that, you yeah. know, that, that wasn't, a, a, well, it was, in a way, it was a war goal, like World War II, you know, in the, in the Sputnik well, sense, you know, we, we thought it, we were in a Cold War with, or were in a Cold War with the Soviets. Well, we were in, in many aspects, but it's very interesting in what, that it, what it did yeah. was that, yes, that put us right at the top at that point, because before then, we were behind the eight ball. Mm-hmm. I was there when Sputnik went into orbit, and, and oh, the Russians are so far out, they're going to come around and nuke us. We, yeah. You can't imagine the number of bomb shelters that were built around this country. and, mm-hmm. and uh, Yeah, people were scared. Oh, yes, they were, and very scared. And, and then, uh, you know, when they first put their, the first man in orbit, you know, then that was another big, big issue. And right. then... When Kennedy comes along and says, we're going to go to the moon, we didn't have the means to do it. Mm. We couldn't put a man in the moon. We didn't have a, We didn't have a, an engine, a rocket engine, that could possibly get us on up there. Right. And it was bold. <laughs> Audacious, was bold. I guess. Yeah. And if it hadn't been for the fact that we were able to get some of the German rocket Mm. engine to like von braun and a few of those we would have never gotten there mm. but at that time we didn't realize that we did not realize that that those things that went on during world war ii mm-hmm. were the things that really got us to the moon mm. the rocket science you mean rocket scientist and then you look at it at what they were doing in order to make the calculations for those orbits of the Lunar lander. Mm-hmm. You didn't have computers. Those were all done by hand. I don't know if you've ever seen that uh, yeah. uh, TV show of the of the number crunchers at oh. NASA. Um, the, not a TV uh, show. I've seen the Hidden Figures movie. Oh, the, hid, is that the, what hidden, you mean? the yeah. hidden Figures movie. Yeah, is that, yep. that, that that's phenomenal, and that's true. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they that's were doing exactly great. what was happening. Yeah, and. There we look at it, and that's where I have one of my, you know, concerns today is our whole issue of taking and trying to take those scenes away from the public today, our society today, you know, slavery and taking out the statues downtown and the memorials to, if you don't see it, you don't know about it, and if you don't know about it, you're going to repeat it. Mm. 
Yeah. So you feel like it's better to have the history out there and let everybody look at it. Look at it. That's your history. That's where you've come from. Mm -hmm. Hopefully you're going to go beyond that. You're not going to do it again. Mm -hmm. You should learn from that history. But how do you learn from it if you don't know it? Mm -hmm. And that's where I have a big problem with this whole movement to take these things away. Yeah, and it's a big it's a big question going on in society right now. Yeah. You know, and I that's time that's for another, another topic. Yeah. That's, that's another, another topic. topic. <laughs> so um thank you so much for coming in. We really appreciate getting your memories about the lunar landing and all your work as a chemist. Um, and hearing about your teaching and, and fundraising efforts. And we really appreciate um, what you've done. Also working on the Conservation Committee for the high school. So thank you very much again. Thank you. It's been nice being here.